0: is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own.
1: G'day and welcome to Boarding Pass 124, operating on April 11th, 2022. This is Doug and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, And travel enthusiasts who obsess about all things aviation. Drew, I still haven't been in a full motion 777 sim, so we're going to save my pilot memoirs for another episode. You're welcome, everyone who complains about the the pilot (laughs) memoirs. It's Easter week around the world for those countries who celebrate the Christian holiday, which means lots of travel. We actually have a news topic associated with this as well. TSA screening numbers in the U.S. are within five percent of 2019, and as you mentioned last week, Drew, the load factors are above ninety percent. Wow! With all that said,
0: how was your week? My week was great. So we had a, a quiet week as far as weather, which is rare. I had a meeting with all of our Express partners to talk about how the station is doing, how the airlines doing, and what our plans are for the summer. But I want to save that for our ops topic because I got a lot of good information. Not a lot happened because uh, and. Francis, no pilot memoir for me, (laughs) me either, because my general aviation flight was canceled. There was no 1-800 number to to complain to. (laughs) I show up all excited and it's calm winds. The rain has just stopped, but the clouds are 800 feet. And for VFR visual flight rules flying, it has to be over a thousand. But it was fine because we had a nice um, ground school class about weather and stuff like that. Last night, Doug. Do you watch Seinfeld at all? I don't watch it regularly. I've seen some episodes. Okay, I'm not a big fan of Seinfeld. So my partner Robbie has been getting into Seinfeld reruns, and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to watch this. I'm not a big fan of of Seinfeld to begin with. And I was like, I, I want to watch something else, but then I realize it's their airline <laughs> episode. <laughs> And I'm like, "All right, no 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 wait. Let's just well, I'll watch it. I'll do Robbie a favor and watch this Airline episode." Ridiculous. Ridic- Some of the stuff I saw on there was probably ridiculous for 1992 is when this episode aired. I just <laughs> And I have you seen this episode? I I've heard about it. I haven't <laughs> seen it. No. All right, so let me set it up for you. So the context is Elaine and Jerry are in St. Louis. They're trying to get back to uh, JFK, but it's bad weather and their flight canceled. So the agent's like, all right, I don't have any more seats. But wait, here's a flight to LaGuardia. I have two seats, one in first, one in economy. Then they're wondering who's going to take the first class seat. And Jerry's like, you know what? Why don't I take the first class seat? Because you've never experienced first class, right? And Elaine goes, no. It's like, all right, then it's fine. You won't know what you're missing. So it's like, wait, (laughs) (laughs) they board. So Elaine is in this horrible economy seat. The plane's packed. And then Jerry is in first class, hot towels. They have flowers in the bathroom. Um, this is so when it shows the plane loading, it's a Southwest 737. In flight, it turns into a DC 9. It lands and it's a Southwest 737 again. <laughs> but listen to this. So, St. Louis to JFK, I was laughing the whole episode. That flight is two hours and four minutes long from St. Louis to JFK. They served a full dinner in economy and first class. The flight attendant (laughs) told Jerry, we have a choice of Chateau Briand or poached salmon on a two-hour flight from St. Louis to New York. Um, And we're featuring wines from the Tuscan region. It's like, oh my God. Okay, so that was the whole airplane thing that was all wrong. And then Kramer is coming to pick them up at the airport. But then here's the other problem. So Kramer wants to get to the airport early to pick them up because he wants to to go through the duty-free real quick and buy stuff. And I'm like, Robbie, he can't buy anything at the duty-free if he doesn't have an international ticket. So that didn't make sense.
1: Well, wait, and, and it was at LaGuardia? La... It was at LaGuardia. There, there would be no duty-free at LaGuardia. <laughs> There'd be
0: no duty- Oh, no, no. They were, he was going to pick them up at Kennedy. So oh, it was, oh,
1: that, oh, that's right. Okay.
0: Yeah. But then I was getting deep into AvGeek territory. So they go to the gate to pick them up. And out the window is a United DC-10. And I'm like, so that's wrong. I United didn't fly DC-10s from Kennedy, mm. as far as I can remember. <laughs> so anyway, I would watch that episode just for the comedic value of how wrong it is. For uh, by Avgeek standards, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it is it is a sitcom, which means that they probably had to make it seem ridiculous, like the flowers, and it, it was it was probably meant to be almost a satire of right classes actually, like just to make it because Elaine's sitting in the back.
0: Yeah, but you know, having said that, I don't know if they were ever offering Chateau Briand and poached salmon. But when I went, when I came to DC for my interview, and I was going back home. I flew from Chicago to from DCA to Chicago, and then Chicago to San Francisco. DCA to Chicago. I was in first class because I was positive space. I had a full lunch, like a proper lunch, on a, on a seven thirty seven from Chicago from DCA to Chicago. So I don't know. I don't know about Chateau Brian, but it's probably <laughs> they probably got something on a two hour flight. I, I, we need to we need to turn this into a
1: segment, listeners. If if you have watched a movie recently and you are mm-hmm. catching improper aviation things that are happening in this movie, keep a list. Let us know, and, and we'll we'll turn this into kind of a, a running thing because I've I've caught lots of things over the years too, and watching movies and TV shows. Yeah.
0: Now I I know you didn't want to go into a pilot memoir, but you got to tell me about this test because you studied for a week for this test and you passed. Was it harder than you expected, or was it? what you expect? It was
1: what I expected, which is part of why I had to study this. It was 150 questions on all, what is it? I guess 10 systems on the airplane plus limitations plus warning system or a- airplane general, just general information about the airplane. Mm-hmm. As I said, it was a lot of rote memorization. It's it's all important things that, that we kind of need to, and they build it this way on purpose. It's, Things that we memorize that we can easily think about while we're flying, that we need to think about while we're flying because we're going over these practice Mm -hmm. tests and questions. And it's a way that they force us to memorize the most important information, the stuff that we need to know on the spot. Whereas other things that might happen to the airplane, we've got time. We can get into the checklist. But you need to know your exhaust gas temperature limitation on takeoff or th- you know th- things like that, or what mode of operation do the slats automatically move to full? based on mm. exterior conditions on the airplane things like that.
0: Well that's a question, that's a good question. So what mode of operation do the flaps auto- the flaps automatically go to full flaps?
1: No, the slats. The slats automatically the slats, okay. mm-hmm. in in So those are the leading edge. Yeah, the leading edge devices. Leading edge the so there are three modes. I, I I don't want to get too in depth for the <laughs> listeners, but there're basically three modes, normal mode, a backup mode and then the Oh, oh crap! Standby mm-hmm. mode, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they go to the secondary mode, they go full out when you move the flaps because you're you're operating with less hydraulic pressure. So, trying to get the slats out full earlier, but that gives you what's called airspeed protection. So, if you are, essentially, I'm 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 dumbing this down. I'm I'm not getting into all the yeah. technical terms, but if you overspeed the slats, they'll automatically move back to the mid position and then okay. in the normal mode if you get it close to a stall if you're if you're right right close to the the buffet or the stick shaker the slats will actually yeah. come out to give you more lift on the wing to increase your stall margin
0: but do the slats move independently or do they move in concert with the flaps going they in? move in concert
1: with the flaps yeah as soon as we go to flaps one the slats come out to the mid position in the in the normal mode okay
0: We could do a whole segment on slats. slats. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm (laughs) I'm trying to keep
1: keep the terms and and everything as as general as I can for the listeners. I I don't want to lose them 10 minutes in. Drew, you've talked in the last few weeks about your newly launched flights, reshuffling of flight banks, and a change to your work schedule for the summer, which kicked in on Sunday, March 27th. That date seems like it has some importance. What's going on and why all the changes at once?
0: Yeah, Doug, it's all associated with what we in the airline industry call the IATA seasons. IATA, the International Air Transport Association, defines only two seasons throughout the year, not four like we're used to, the winter schedule and the summer schedule. Doug, it's all based on slot allocations at saturated airports, mostly in Europe, as well as anticipated traffic flows, i.e. there's historically more transatlantic traffic in the summer months. IATA defines three levels of airports. There's a Level 1 non-coordinated, Level 2 slot facilitated, and Level 3 coordinated. Level 1 non-coordinated, an airline can add or subtract flights to these airports whenever they want with no coordination required. Level 2 and 3 airports require an application, an acceptance, and closely coordinated schedules. The slot rules for the summer kick in on the last Sunday of March each year, which this year was March 27th. The winter schedule begins on the last Sunday of October. So using these predefined dates allow airlines and airports to coordinate flights during especially busy periods. The airlines had to submit their plans for summer 22 flying by last September schedule, and they have to submit their plans for the 2022 winter season by the end of the month.
1: So that makes sense as to why your schedule changed on Sunday the 27th. And I don't think either of us really realized that because you you sent me a message on that day and you said, man, things are things seem different today. We have more European flights. We have different banks. I started a different work schedule. And in my mind, I was thinking, it's kind of random. On on a, a random Sunday in March, I got to thinking about it because I've, I've heard and, and read many times before about the IATA seasons. And so we, yeah. we looked it up and, and found the reason why the airline, and, and it wasn't just your airline, it was lots of European airlines now are showing up at your airport doing flights that hadn't been there the day prior. And it's all because of this, I had a summer, summer season, summer schedule.
0: Yeah. And you know, most of this is timed, right? All the schedule changes are timed for the northern hemisphere summer travel season. The northern hemisphere has more travel has more flights has more population. And that's just that's just how it is. Most of these not most of these a lot of these slots are are to congested airports in Europe, London Heathrow, is one and these slots. I did not know this. Did you know that IATA managed this for all the airlines cuz I was just assuming if London Heathrow has slot restrictions they would manage that but apparently IATA helps manage this with this summer schedule.
1: I, I didn't know that before I did the research on this.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty big. I didn't know it was the whole world that they were they were organizing and it makes sense. IATA is how all the airlines talk to each other so it makes absolute sense. Regarding these slots, London Heathrow is a big one, Doug. In October of 2020, Air New Zealand, they sold their slot at London Heathrow for 27 million dollars. and they stopped flying to London com- completely. But then Oman Air in 2016, 75 million to buy two slots from Kenya Airways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in 2017, Delta paid Croatia Airlines 22 million for some late morning slots. Apparently, these early slots into London Heathrow are the most expensive. Those um, Kenya Airways slots that Oman Air got Mm were early morning.
1: Yeah, well, because you think about it. A lot of the traffic coming from North America, uh, all the North American to Europe traffic lands, takes off at night, lands in the morning. And if you're a business traveler, you want to you want to land when the airport opens at six o'clock. So you can be through customs, be on the express to the central business district and be at a meeting possibly by nine. It, you know, if, if you think about how those flows are kind of set up.
0: Yeah. So everyone gets their slots. They submit them to IATA and IATA make sure that there's a nice... I don't know how you know, sometimes it's not, there's a lot of congestion in the morning, but I guess IATA does whatever they can to make it as organized as possible.
1: Yeah. One, one thing that really stood out to me was that the airlines had to submit their, their plans for summer 22 this summer by last September, that's like six to seven months out. You, and it's, it's hard in, in normal times, like pre COVID it's hard to really know what's going to happen in six months. You, you can look at historical trends but this year, or, or in the last couple of years, scheduling for the, the summer and winter schedule has got to be incredibly difficult because we don't know what parts of the world are going to be surging. We don't know what parts of the world are going to be open, even. We don't know how many people are going to want to travel internationally. And the airlines had to plan for that six months in advance. They, they can't just... You talk about how it's it's like turning a big cruise ship. You can't just pivot on a dime and say... Hey, we're, you know, we're, we're going to add all this stuff. You have to plan months Mm -hmm. and plans for staffing for airplanes.
0: Yeah. And you just look at the bookings and, you know, there's people that make way more money and way smarter than us looking at the trends and seeing where they're going. And if they plan big, if they plan to go big this summer, I think they bet, you know, they made a good bet because the loads are through the roof. Yeah. It's
1: really, really pretty fascinating. And it's, it's kind of cool that you were part of that process.
0: Yeah. I got to see it play out.
1: Yeah. Drew, we led the episode discussing your Easter week experience. Why don't you take our first news story? Because it directly relates to your work discussion.
0: Yeah, this talks about all the possible problems, Doug. So this is from Yahoo Finance. UK Easter travel disruption continues as airlines brace for a bumpy summer. You know, we're talking like everything's great and the planes are full. There's a lot more to that story. It's not as easy as that. There's other issues going on that we have to work around. So there's an uptick in infections among airline staff. It's coupled with heightened demand for travel and fuller planes that are all leading to massive travel disruptions in the U.K. And, you know, this article is about the U.K., but we can see this all over the place. Airlines are warning that this could be a peak into what summer travel will be like across the U.K. and possibly stretching into mainland Europe. Additionally, Ryanair expects average airfares to be 5 to 10 percent higher than the same period in 2019, and that's due to higher fuel costs and an increased appetite for travel. British Airways and EasyJet have canceled hundreds of flights this week and expect things to continue for some time. Airlines are asking for government help to alleviate possible travel issues. The General Secretary of the British Airline Pilots Association, Martin Chalk, said, quote, The chaos witnessed at British airports may well be repeated throughout the summer because airlines, laden with debt, have not yet hired enough staff. It's so concerning because do they hire a lot of people? not knowing what's going to happen with infections. I, I think you and I are on the same page. We're like, just go big. I think we're getting through this and it's about managing it. But there's an uptick in infections. Hopefully it's not a sign of another obstacle, Doug.
1: Yeah. One thing that you have to think about, and yes, this easily could impact us here in the United States. It could impact anywhere around the world. And we we saw that ourselves back in December as Omicron was marching its way through through airline crews and flights are being Mm -hmm. canceled left and right. It easily could happen here. I think the difference between some of the European carriers not being able to go big like the U.S. carriers did is throughout the pandemic, not the first couple of months, of course, but from like late 2020 on, we had a domestic market, at least. The airlines weren't hemorrhaging money as much as they were in the early days of the pandemic. Yes, they got the mm-hmm. bailout. Everyone around, all most airlines around the world have gotten some sort of bailout from their government. But those bailouts mm-hmm. stopped in early 2021 for the US airlines and they're back on their feet again. Again, because we had this domestic travel market, couldn't really go anywhere internationally, yep. but most of the US was open and people were getting comfortable with traveling. So the airlines in the US could plan to go big. They could hire for possible like even though it wasn't quite ready yet to recover they could hire for that recovery Mm -hmm. now again that's not to say that we won't have issues it's not one of our articles we're going to talk about this week but southwest over the over the last week had a massive meltdown again due to both an it issue and also those storms in florida that you were talking about and it just snowballed there so you can see how southwest who has has been pretty bullish throughout the entire pandemic in, in their plans and their hiring. Even an airline that was set up and ready for a recovery had a real headstring mm-hmm. for a what third time in the last year that there was a major a major meltdown at, at Southwest.
0: And couple that with uh you know some employees being sick with infections and a shortage of employees in any irregular op situation gets gets magnified yeah
1: right compounded
0: it takes several days to recover
1: yeah drew hopefully this summer will be better all right well an article or a a news story that we talked about a couple weeks ago and we haven't done a go-around back to this for a couple of (laughs) weeks this is from the seattle times clues to china boeing 737 800 crash maybe just days away as black boxes arrive in the u.s As we talked about a few episodes back, China Eastern flight 5735, a six-year-old 737, crashed in southern China on Monday, March 21st. Both the cockpit voice recorder, or CBR, and the flight data recorder, FDR, have been recovered, and they're now in the U.S., where investigators hope to have preliminary answers to what happened within days, they're saying. More than 200 of China Eastern 737-800s have been grounded since the accident, pending initial data from the investigation. Other airlines around the world are also cautiously and impatiently, I would probably add a waiting word on whether the safety changes <laughs> are needed because this is the most popular airplane currently flying worldwide.
0: I didn't know that China Eastern grounded all their 737-800s. They so did. Mm-hmm. That seemed a little extreme. And you would, you would think, why wouldn't Air China also ground them? Yeah. You know, why would it just be that airline? That's weird. Yeah. They have these boxes, Doug, and... From what I understand, they're intact and readable, so they probably already know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, they're, if they have access to the voice recorder, and yeah. the, they probably have a good clue. The, yeah,
1: the, I, I, we, we've talked about several accidents in the past couple of years. This is not going to end quickly. We're not going to get the final investigation report in the next couple of days. What this is saying, and what's really important for listeners to understand is the sooner when it's an accident that you cannot determine what the cause was. Like let let's say I don't know. Let's say an airplane rolls off the runway because of ice. It's pretty obvious it rolled off the runway because of ice. It's it's not something necessarily wrong with the airplane. You can see it. it, it you know what happened. This no one knows what happened. This airplane nosed over and fell straight to the ground at from twenty nine thousand feet. What we want to know in the industry is. Was it pilot induced? Is there something that we can do differently with those procedures? Was it mechanical? Was it something with the maintenance of the airplane? So, China Eastern, the, the way that they had done the maintenance on the airplane, was it something mechanical with the airplane that Boeing needs to address on all these airplanes? We're not, again, we're not going to have the final investigation report, accident investigation report for probably a couple of years, but at least we can know mm-hmm. what the root cause of the issue was to know if we have to put out an airworthiness directive on these airplanes, if we have to change pilot training, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yep. So whatever it is, it'll it'll make flying safer, unless it's something that you just cannot control. Mm -hmm. You know, a pilot having mental issues. Well, even that, you have some control. So maybe there'll be added, you know, mental health checks. Who knows? I, I think we'll know shortly, maybe by the next episode. All right. Staying in that corner of the world, Doug, this is from the South China Morning Post. Hong Kong's Cathay Pacific to resume cadet pilot training program for the first time in two years. When you sent me this story, I was like, what? pilot cadet training? Don't they have plenty of pilots and with nowhere to go? So I guess a lot of them have quit. Cathay said it expects to intake 190 cadets this year, up from uh, 10 in 2019. It also plans to take 150 fully trained cadets who finished in 2020, but were unable to join the airline due to the pandemic. I wonder if our friend John Debray trained some of these people because the they train, some of yeah, the trainings were ending and they didn't know. Yeah, yeah, and he was saying like they didn't know what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> article says cadets will complete ground school in Hong Kong, go through flight training in Australia or Arizona, then return to Hong Kong for airline specific simulators. An airline spokesman said, "Quote: Despite the challenges presented by the pandemic, Cathay Pacific is confident in the development and long term future." of Hong Kong as a premier aviation hub. Many Cathay Pacific pilots were either furloughed or voluntarily walked away from the company due to a 98% reduction of flying and Hong Kong's strict lockdowns, some of the harshest in the world. You know, this is a story about locking down or managing a pandemic and Hong Kong chose to lock down and this is the side effect of that. You know, this is the um this is the drawback of mm-hmm. doing it that way. Yeah, maybe, maybe the good thing is more people live, which is, I guess, the most important thing. But for an economic recovery, this is horrible because they're still a, probably a year behind us in terms of recovery.
1: Uh, they're probably more than that because they're pretty much still locked down. Talking about this article, Drew, the fact that Cathay Pacific, and we've talked about them a lot over the last couple of years, and even this article says that they've reduced their flying by 98%. I haven't seen a Cathay Pacific airplane in over two years in Me anywhere. Either anywhere that I've gone because they're, they're just not flying because because of these lockdowns. But the fact that Cathay Pacific is relaunching this training program means that they see the light at the end of the tunnel, means that they now, as we talked about with that UK article, and as we've talked about over the last year about our airlines in, in the US and North America and other, in, others in Europe, they are starting to prepare to move out of the initial phases of the pandemic and they're planning for this. It's going to take over a year to get these cadets trained up and ready to fly. So we're not saying that going to be back for the IATA winter season, (laughs) the winter schedule, (laughs) but they are, they are planning for, and again, using the IATA term, they're probably planning Mm -hmm. for next summer for summer 2023 to get these people spun up, which means that we've talked about Asia opening up that in other parts of Asia, they're starting to open up. Hopefully now this is a sign the cafe
0: will come back and Hong Kong will start to open up. Yeah, just to give you an example, I mean, it was just, I think, a week ago that um, Hong Kong went from a 14-day quarantine, which is ridiculous, to seven days. They had nine countries on the banned list until about a week ago, and the U.S. was one of them. That's why we haven't seen any of their planes. But also the UK was on the banned list. India was the ban- on the banned list. These are huge destinations for Cathay Pacific that you couldn't even fly from there. Yeah, And they also had, they had these, they slapped these airlines. Singapore, Emirates, Korean, Malaysian, Qatar. They all sla- got slapped with one week suspensions. Because some customers came in and they were retested and they had COVID. I want your thoughts on this. I think it's so unfair. As an airline, we are not a medical diagnostic company. We accept what the federal government deems as acceptable for a COVID test proof. Mm -hmm. That's all we're looking at. And for the airline to be punished for that? I I don't know how the airline controls.
1: No, it it can't. If, If 300 people are on an airplane, and they all provide negative tests, it's not the airline's fault. You could have false positives, you could have false negatives. I agree.
0: Yeah. And so this is hurting Hong Kong really bad. The head of IATA, Willie Walsh, he has said Hong Kong as an aviation hub has basically fallen off the map. Carrie Lam, who's the uh, administrator or the leader of Hong Kong, she's saying, no, it's, we're still a significant hub. They're actually not. If, you, if the traffic of your major airline has dropped by 98%, you are no longer a major aviation <laughs> hub. Hopefully they get back on it. Unless
1: you have anything else, I think that this is a really good transition to this next article. This is from the it Philippine is. Star. Philippine Airlines aims to be among the top three full-service airlines in Asia by 2025. Fresh out of bankruptcy and set- sensing an opening with Cathay Pacific on its back foot, PAL's new president and COO wants the airline to be among the top three full-service airlines in Asia as early as 2025. Stanley Ng said... I want Pal to be a full-service carrier. If everything will be okay, Pal will be among the top two to three airlines in Asia in the next three to five years. The airline plans to achieve this by investing on systems and processes to enhance passenger experience, improve back end support, and improve digital innovations. Ng says he wants the airline to evolve into a regional and global leader like other air- Asian airlines such as Singapore, Eva, and Jal. They're sensing an opening, Drew. They see that Hong Kong has fallen off the map. They are out of bankruptcy. They have this Mm -hmm. fresh outlook on, let's grow. Let's use this opportunity to turn Manila into a hub, to turn Philippine Airlines into this possible global Mm class.
0: They have such an opportunity, Doug. And we talked about these these countries with huge populations, lots of O&D travel, but Foreign carriers are taking most of their money, you know, in terms of traffic. India, for example, like the biggest international carriers, and there are not Indian carriers, right? Same thing with the Philippines. Philippine Airlines only carries 28% of the international traffic from Manila. Hmm. So that's 70% that other airlines are carrying. So that's a huge opportunity for them. Did you know that they're building a new international airport in Manila? Mm -mm. Yeah, I didn't either. We're horrible at pronunciation, so I had to check a YouTube video to make sure it's, <laughs> bu- <laughs> it's Bulacan Bulacan International Airport, also known as New Manila Airport. Six times the capacity of um, Nino Nino Aquino oh, Airport. Wow. Six times the capacity. And check this out. So Manila in the Pacific Ocean, only 13 hours to San Francisco and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So you can fly existing 777-300s on that route. New York Kennedy, 16 hours. Completely, you know, very reachable by PALs, A350s that they're getting. Dubai is 10 hours away. Sydney is nine hours away. What a great opportunity and what a great location in the Pacific to have this hub that can go to anywhere in North America and very, you know, accessible to uh, the Middle East and and uh, Oz, mm-hmm. Sydney and uh, Auckland too. But Oh, the other thing I want to mention. They need to join an alliance, Doug. I've, I, think I've, this I've be... got that.
1: I was going to ask you, what alliance do you think that they will join? Or what, what alliance should they join and which one do you think they'll join?
0: Okay, I think that they should join either American or United. And the reason is American is the largest carrier at LAX. United is the largest carrier at SFO. There's large Filipino populations all over North America, but those are the largest local populations of Filipino Americans. What do yeah. you think?
1: I agree with your mindset, but I think that you're looking at this from the, uh, the American standpoint. We need to look at this from more of the regional, the Asian standpoint and okay. what, what other airlines around them are part of alliances as well. Because okay. they, they could fly to Seattle and they could get Delta connections on Sky team. Delta has a hub in LA. So you've got Sky team uh, on that side you talked about United okay. with Star. talked about America uh-huh. with One World. I think you have to look more around them, though. You From from a Star standpoint, you've got Singapore just to the west of them. You've got mm-hmm. just to the north in Taiwan. You've got ANA in Japan. You've got Air China in the mainland. Star is pretty heavy. And United, which is a, a big Pacific player is really, pre-COVID. Yeah. Star is pretty heavy in that region. I would say yeah. you look at SkyTeam. SkyTeam has China Eastern, they've got Korean, and they've got China Airlines. They don't have anything in Japan. Honestly, I see it being SkyTeam because I, I think they see an, they could probably see an opening. SkyTeam itself yeah. would probably put the recruitment on pretty hard for Philippine Airlines.
0: So we talked about Cathay the weakness with Cathay Pacific and that void in the in the Pacific with Cathay Pacific. At two percent, right? What about One World? So maybe Philippine Airlines could help fill that void. LAX, Americans, the biggest, although Delta's pretty big yeah, too. Possibly,
1: but you also have to look at Qantas down south, south of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Qantas is in One World, and they're mm-hmm. with like the the European flows and everything. You've got JAL in Japan. I, I think One World is is probably the weakest in the region, po- possibly One World and SkyTeam. Are, are probably pretty close in in their yeah. their stretch in the region. I don't see it going star. Possibly one world. My I, I think Sky Team probably is is the most likely.
0: Yeah, we'll see something that gets them good connections to to North America for sure because uh, have nonstops to more nonstops to LAX, San Francisco, connect with Delta or American or United, and those American carriers would feed them all that traffic. Now from Europe, who would their part? Who would be? a good partner. I'm just trying to think. Going to the Philippines. Yeah, I, I don't know about Europe too much from
1: like a Filipino population. I'm not sure where they tend yeah to, tend to reside.
0: Yeah, I think it's all over. I know in the Middle East there's a lot of uh, Filipino workers that go there. Definitely they have a lot of traffic to that area of the world. And then you know they could partner with a European airline that they could connect with in Dubai. Have like another focus city in the Middle East?
1: Maybe I, I just looked up who Philippines partners are right now because we said that they're not in a they're not in an alliance. It looks like they've got a couple of code share flights with Cathay Pacific, Gulf Air, China Airlines, mm-hmm. Royal Brunei, Hawaiian, WestJet, Malaysia, mm-hmm. ANA, zymen Turkish and Bangkok Airways. They kind oh. of have a smattering of all the different alliances. What if they stay independent? What what if they do like Emirates? What if they do like Latam? What You, you know, there there are these mm-hmm. big global airlines that have either been in alliances and left or just never decided to join. And instead, they can pull yeah. code shares and alliance or kind of create their own micro alliance, if you will. i, I I guess not, not saying they're they're gonna create a fourth alliance, but they can then choose their partners and they can get a smattering between all of them. So maybe they choose to stay independent.
0: I think it would behoove them to choose a US partner quickly because I can sense the the Philippine economy is growing at like six percent a year. I can sense that one of the US carriers at some point soon will fly nonstop to Manila. Yeah. And then that part of that traffic is going to be taken away from them. So wouldn't it behoove them to partner with one of these carriers and just have a code share where they fly the route and we they feed each other customers? Drew, let's move into our main
1: topic this week, which many of our listeners probably hoped that we would talk about when the news broke. It is a news topic, so it could have been in the news section, but there's just so much to unpack with this that we decided to make it our main topic for this week. What are we talking about? JetBlue announced this week that it intends to merge with Spirit. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> yeah, that just came out of the blue. You know, I someone sent me the article, and I'm like, I'm thinking it's an April Fool's mm-hmm. joke because we weren't too far off from April 1st. But no, this is, actually, this is actually in the cards, possibly. So this unsolicited bid comes just a month after a coordinated merger between Frontier and Spirit. This story is being reported and debated everywhere, so our bullets are a mix of several different news outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Reuters, Forbes, Bloomberg, etc., JetBlue has a $3.6 billion offer, and that's 36% higher than what Frontier is offering for Spirit. Most economists and industry observers were left scratching their heads over the announcement, like we are still. <laughs> Frontier immediately went on the defensive, saying that its offer is better for both Spirit and its customers. JetBlue expects the deal to pass regulator approval. Under the acquisition, Spirit would be folded completely into JetBlue and all planes would be retrofitted with JetBlue's cabin configuration. Spirit said it was internally reviewing the newest offer and has yet to determine its course of action. Okay, I want just a moment of uh, I told you so if it happens this (laughs) way. Not that I'm rooting for one or the other, but uh, I think JetBlue and Spirit would be great. (laughs) And it would raise... So if they're saying that a merged carrier would have the JetBlue model, then that's going to be a a rise in... uh, in quality or, um, in, in, uh, what's the way to put it, Doug, a rise in service levels. Mm -hmm. If it's uh, a JetBlue product versus a Spirit or a Frontier, what do you think?
1: There is so much to unpack with this. And I, I haven't had the, the normal amount of time to read the articles like, like I usually do because of all the studying and everything that I've been doing in class. But I, I have a lot of questions and I know that a lot of, Industry observers and analysts, like financial analysts, have some of these same questions. JetBlue said in, in quotes that they expect the deal to pass regulator approval.
0: How are they just throwing that exactly?
1: Out will Will the Department of Justice allow this? And, and the reason why I ask that is because, as you re- recall that we talked about a year and a half ago, or two years ago now almost probably, JetBlue and American have this, what they call the Northeast Alliance, where JetBlue and American are able to code share on flights together on the East Coast. Spirit is very big on the East Coast. So now if you get JetBlue and Spirit merging, you have, I I would argue, an anti-competitive landscape. And JetBlue has already said, and in one of the articles I read, JetBlue said that they won't give up the Northeast Alliance just to let the merger go through. Mm -hmm. So if that's something the regulators say, you have to end this Northeast
0: Alliance, JetBlue has said no, that they won't do this. The only possible way that it would pass if they're saying that is if they give up a bunch of slots at uh, important airports LaGuardia, JFK, laGuardia Boston JFK yeah, and you know i I haven't done a lot of research either, and just off the top, I'm thinking jetBlue and spirit would be that would be a much more difficult merger because they're so big on the east Coast with that north south and i'm I'm thinking Frontier is still mostly Denver. It's not. Tyler it's not. sent me this route map, and it they are big on these. The I don't. We haven't had enough time to research how many routes each airline has. Yeah, stay tuned because we'll follow the story. Now, a couple more questions
1: I have about this, Drew. I, if if you go back to 2016 when Alaska merged with Virgin America, there was uh, JetBlue was also in the mix. JetBlue was trying to get Virgin America as well, and they were in this mm-hmm. they were in this bidding war, and a lot of people were mm-hmm. saying does JetBlue really want Virgin America or do they want Alaska to pay more for Virgin America? Oh, yeah. oh, Which Alaska, well, A lot of people said Alaska overpaid for Virgin America because they were in this yeah. bidding war with, with JetBlue. With so JetBlue. I'm wondering, is JetBlue doing Because JetBlue has said that they expect or that they will not give up the Northeast Alliance. They have said that they expect the DOJ to approve this. So are they just trying to get Frontier to pay more?
0: Could be, yeah, could be because it does. It seems completely mismatched. JetBlue and Spirit, not similar products, so it would take a lot of money to retrofit. just to get just to get these planes upgraded to JetBlue standards. Yeah. That's going to be millions of dollars. Yeah,
1: and it so, would have yeah, to, it, would it would have to be idea. very fast too because people who fly JetBlue expect seatback screens, mm-hmm. free internet and more seat pitch and think about a spirit airplane. Let, let's say you're a JetBlue customer post-merger and you, you yeah. get on a legacy spirit airplane. You look around and go, Wait. what the heck? What, this is not JetBlue. This isn't what I paid for. Yeah. So you're they going to have to do it very quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I think how it could play out just to how we envisioned it. <laughs> JetBlue's doing this to raise the price, right? And make those two carriers weaker maybe. And then they will say, oh, DOT, well, can you give us the consolation prize and let us merge with Alaska? <laughs> right, yeah. which is probably what they wanted to do to begin with. That's that's very true. And, <laughs> and this this is how... Yeah, because we come back, all right, you wouldn't give us the, all this, this strength on the East Coast, at least give us Alaska where we won't have as much of a foothold. It, you might be absolutely
1: right with that. I, I hadn't even thought of it in that aspect. Yeah, and if, if you look historically over the last 20 to 30 years, this is how the industry has gone. You have one carrier that comes in and says, I want this airline. Mm -hmm. You know, think back to 2000 Delta and United almost came together. USA and Northwest. I mean, there, there are all these different things over the years that never transpired with mergers and it led other airlines into other partnerships and, and Mm -hmm. mergers. Now, one, one thing that I read, and this is a very interesting take on it. A lot of people have said that spirit, which is, I, Again, I I think we talked about this when the Spirit Frontier merger was announced. Spirit is huge in Central and South America. They have lots of flights from Florida, Texas, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. to like Bogota and Medin and all all these places in South America that you don't even realize how big Spirit is down there. JetBlue has the Caribbean. JetBlue is now expanding to Europe. Is this a way for JetBlue to expand south of the border more than they already are? But the 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 biggest thing, which actually makes sense if you think about it, Drew, we've talked about the A320neo and how it is a mm-hmm. runaway bestseller, ten thousand open yeah. orders. If if you want an A320, A321, A319neo right now, like if you order it today, mm-hmm. it's like my Tesla, yeah. where it keeps slipping <laughs> into the future. You know, now I'm not right. getting it until December, and when I ordered it, I thought yeah. it was going to be September. If you want an A320 family Neo, right now, you're going to have to wait 10 years. You may not get it until 2030, 2031. Right. What some people are starting to say is this is a way for JetBlue to quickly get hundreds of airplanes. You just buy and cruise. And $3.6 billion. If JetBlue were to order 100 A320 neos, they would pay Mm -hmm. probably more than $3.6 billion for, for all those new airplanes. So by doing this yeah. merger, JetBlue all Absolutely. of a sudden is able to almost double its complete fleet and talk about yeah. expansion for this airline very quickly. So that that's a really
0: interesting well, that- on it as well. Well, a big problem is getting pilots. They'd also get all these crews, mm-hmm. double their planes and their crews instantly without waiting 10 years, like you said.
1: Yeah. interesting takes and interesting times. I have a feeling we're going to be doing a go around back to this topic with we'll we'll see what Frontier's reaction is. And and we'll we'll see where the dust settles on this. Drew, we had two ops topics picked out for this week until JetBlue decided it wanted to buy Spirit. We're probably going to go a little long on this episode as it stands. So I'm going to leave it up to you to decide which topic to cover this week. And we'll shelve the other one for a
0: later date. You were going to talk about pilot legality or something, weren't you? I was, what I was you talking about
1: in, in a way. Yes. It, it was more because I've had a lot of people ask me why well, yeah, I'm San Francisco based, why I'm doing so much Florida flying. Why, why don't the East coast yeah. crews take care of that? So I was just going to talk about how, how the network works and, and how airlines mm-hmm. manage, manage their crews and their flying. And what, what was the topic that you brought up?
0: Well, I had a meeting with our express carriers. So let me go through that. And depending on how long I ran, okay. <laughs> let's go to your story. Yeah. You know, I I think most people know what they may not know this major airlines have our express partners. So a lot of civilians probably think, "Okay, I'm on this carrier, American, Delta, United, and then I'm flying express. So that's their express partner. Like it's just one airline. It's not. It's several airlines. And where I work, Doug, we have not one, not two, not three. We have six Mm -hmm. (laughs) we have six and i have that collateral to kind of oversee them support them make sure that we're all communicating so we had our uh, quarterly meeting with all the carriers six partner carriers just one little note out of five of the six carriers the managers five of them were women Hmm. nice job (laughs) so that was cool so we did a presentation we talked about their performance we talked about issues we talked about what's going on with uh the our major carrier, and we talked about being consistent among all these carriers. And the one issue where I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's um it's something that we have to work through is operational control. okay, so you I have, was ask about that. When I say operational control, I'm not talking about product, I'm not talking about service level, I'm not talking about catering because those are all consistent with whichever carrier you bought a ticket on, right? The procedures, the boarding, whatnot. I'm talking about operational control, actually operating the airplane at an airport or through the ATC systems. All these airlines are individually certificated, Doug. <laughs> um, so they all have an operating certificate and they're individual. So they don't use the operating certificate that we do so they're not all exactly the same in terms of operational control. They have their own dispatch departments that f- does their flight planning. Of course, we support them with whatever they need, but they're basically doing their own thing as far as flight planning. Pilots are trained you know, separately. Some of the complications or things we have to work through are dangerous goods. A specific dangerous goods sh- shipment may fly on the mainline carrier. Mainline flight cancels. Oh, the next flight's express. We can't necessarily put it on that. Plane because that carrier may not have doesn't, a certificate. Doesn't allow for it. Right. Doesn't allow for it. So that's one thing. Talk about complications. So this is another carrier. So we're trying to make sure that they're consistent with the mainline product. They have mechanics which sometimes are not their own mechanics. So now we're dealing with. a a third party, third party. It's it's a lot that we have to manage. You know, that third party maintenance may change. Sometimes we don't even know who it is. And we just have to find out when we're in a crisis. Sometimes one of the airlines has doesn't have mechanics on site, they have to drive in a mechanic from DCA, which is the other airport, things like that we have we got to work through. But the biggest thing is, is air traffic control, taxi times, you buy a ticket on one of these major carriers, that's all you care about. So if you have a long taxi delay, you're holding that carrier responsible, whether you're on an express plane or not. You're not holding Republic or Commute Air. You're riding to the mainline carrier. And this is where it gets kind of murky because when there's a long taxi violation, I can ask them to come back to the gate to offer egress so we don't take a long taxi time. But when it comes down to it, they have operational control. So their dispatcher may say, no, you're not coming back. We're going to get a release time. So they take that gamble. But if it does go over three hours, guess who's writing a millions of reports? It's us. <laughs> hmm. In this meeting, without telling them what to do, which I officially can't because they have operational control, I'm telling them what our mainline process is. You go out. You're out there for 90 minutes. We'll check with you. We'll have a gate for you to come back to at two hours for mainline. We want to come back and to be consistent across all the airlines, whatever your dispatcher says, we want you to come back. We're not telling you to come back, but we would like you to come back so that we can offer egress and we can reset that clock. Because after three hours, Doug, $33,000 fine for every single customer who's on that plane. Yeah. But even bigger than that, you know, that's a customer service. That's a customer service issue. We don't want people sitting on planes for two hours. Bring back. So that's something we have to work through. One more thing, when we have flow delays, like to Florida, we have flow delays and they just go in automatically. And sometimes it's a five or six hour delay. Sometimes it's not that long. For mainline, you've probably seen this, we have a predicted departure time. So when there's flow control to San Francisco, the company, we have all kinds of really great technology and we work with ATC, there's flow times into San Francisco The company will come out with predicted flow times, and we will generally go by that. Now, if it's several hours, we'll check with dispatch and NOC. But in general, we just go by that. They're really good. So when we have these predicted flow times, if it's an express carrier, I tell my guys, call dispatch before you put it in, because they have operational control. They may have another idea. They may have another route they're working on. The communication between mainline and express in that level, because we have all this new technology to to estimate departure times, that is still being worked on. So we would call the the that carrier directly to see, all right, it says we have a three-hour flow time. Do you want us to put in that delay or do you have another alternative? And a lot of times they will. But other than that, Doug, these carriers are great. You would think six carriers would be a lot to corral, but I came from one of these carriers and I can tell you they are as motivated as us on the main line. They have really good employees. Yeah. They have to
1: be they, because if, if they don't offer good service, then they, the contract won't get extended and they're going to go the way of Expressjet, Compass, Masaba. You, you name all the, all these regional carriers who are, are no longer around because the contracts were stopped from the, from the mainline carriers.
0: Yeah. And also Doug, don't, um, for people who are listening, don't think that they're young and low seniority and inexperienced. So of these six, managers that were at this meeting, I would say three of them are older than me mm-hmm. and it's a quality of life issue. They want to live in Appleton, Wisconsin, or they want to live in St. Louis, Missouri, and they're happy working for this smaller airline. Yeah, they could be there for their whole career. They have yeah. pilots that are you know older, so don't think that just because it's an express carrier it's a lack of experience or, yeah.
1: or skill. I, I don't think we're going to get to my ops topic this week because I have a couple questions for you babe, based on <laughs> all of this. The first one is gates. You've talked about gate management before. And for the listeners, go back and and find that episode. How does it work with an express carrier? Because your gate manager is managing the gates for for your company. The express carrier is flying Mm -hmm. for your company, but it's not your company. So how how does that work?
0: Oh, yeah. We do the gate planning for all these carriers. We don't discriminate, whether it's express or mainline. If a flight's late and that flight needs a gate, mainline may have to wait. It's all based on the customer. How many connections do we have off this flight? Do we have critical crew that's connecting off that plane? Let's park them first. But having said that, the express planes are smaller, right? So if I have a lack of gates and I have a 737, which needs a gate with almost 200 people and an Embraer 175, that's maybe 60 people. They may have to wait just the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, right but other than that, Doug, we treat them just like mainline in terms of gate space. It is very complicated and we have certain gates we we have certain gates where we can park mainline and express and another complication we have is all the express equipment is staged for their flight then we change gates because we have to and now there's a shuffle because they have different rampers than we have so now the mainline equipment has to be brought over so. That's a little complicated, but uh, we work through that. But we don't discriminate. I mean, we, we gate them just like we would a mainline flight based on customer needs. And then
1: the, the last question I had was, do you have an express representative in your office? And do they have a mainline representative? Or is it just a phone connection?
0: Yeah, we do not have an express representative in our office. We have a very close relationship with their dispatch. So we use uh, Microsoft Teams. It's like a Zoom Mm -hmm. thing, but you can have chats with people. The gate managers and the pod managers have a chat open with Mesa Dispatch, GoJet Dispatch, Commuter Dispatch. So the communication is great, Doug. There's no need for someone to be in the office at all. Okay.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. We
0: We do have someone in the office who represents the contractor that does the ramp. But in terms of the carrier itself, no, we don't. And, you know, I talk about these managers. We rarely deal with them during the operation because we're so closely entwined with their dispatch. Okay. So these managers are looking at bigger picture, like equipment, crew issues, stuff like that.
1: That's fascinating. I I, I didn't know like 95% of this. So I'm sure that the listeners are are really pretty fascinated by this as well.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, just know you, our goal is for you as a customer to have a consistent, seamless. Ex, a seamless experience to, to the point where... And, you know, it's been so seamless. Sometimes I forget (laughs) that Mm -hmm. it's I'm on an express carrier. I flew express from DCA to Chicago a few weeks ago. The planes, you know, they had the branded seats and the logos and everything. The crew had similar uniforms, not exactly the same, but their announcements were just like mainline. And the quality of product was just as good on an Embraer 175. So the goal of the major carriers is for you not even to realize (laughs) which airline yeah. you're on you, you might see it when you're well, flying in it'll be it'll say operated by gojet
1: the other day my mom flew from sacramento up to seattle to visit some friends after she had left our house she was on an e-175 operated by sky west and she mm-hmm. i asked her what airline she was on she said "Oh, i'm flying on delta oh perfect see <laughs> yeah
0: and, and she she yeah.
1: knows she knows it's a, it's a regional but she mm-hmm. didn't say oh i'm on a Delta flight operated by SkyWest. She just said, "Yeah, I'm flying Delta up there." Yeah. And, and even we in the industry, we we say that. We say, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm flying on American today." Yeah, I, exactly. it may be on Envoy, but no one says that because if you tell someone I'm flying on Envoy, <sighs> the majority That's... of the tra- traveling public will say, "Who? What? Yeah. What are you? What yeah. are you
0: doing?" And I I know that our airline is investing a lot of money, not just in our product, but in their product. So that their cabins look just like ours. It's the same. A, mm-hmm. a lot of these planes are getting Wi-Fi, or already have Wi-Fi, just like the main line. Yep, that's that's the way it's going because you know we cannot fly every route with a 737. You know, sometimes an Embraer one seventy-five is is better suited.
1: Not to be a Debbie Downer at the end here, but hopefully they can remain staffed because I know that that's a big issue right now. Is what what the major is expanding so much they're just scooping up regional pilots and rampers and flight attendants. So hopefully, hopefully this is not a, a bigger, longer lasting issue. I, I know there are a lot of articles out there about possible cancellation of service to smaller cities. We'll save that for another day. <laughs> <laughs> We're going pretty long. So on that note- Wait, hold on. I got,
0: no, hold on, hold on, stop. We There's an yeah. elephant in the room. I just need a minute to discuss this. Okay. Okay condor paint job what are your thoughts so oh my goodness <laughs> anyone who's listening knows they had a shocking new paint job come out with uh stripes you know around the fuselage all the way through it looks like some kind of barber shop it's supposed to be a uh beach blanket look and ha- and there's like all kinds of colors
1: that makes sense because they're they're a leisure carrier
0: yeah so i mean some I of think, these blogs some of the articles th- one of them says I think what it's were they-? Hor- yeah you it think it's horrendous, horrendous?
1: I think it's horrendous.
0: I think it's horrendous too. It's giving me a headache just looking at it.
1: It reminds me of Braniff, but it looks terrible. Braniff actually looked good because Braniff had all the different colors. I think this looks terrible.
0: (laughs) So some of the comments that I see from these uh, blogs, one of them says, what were they thinking? (laughs) One of them says, Condor's crazy new livery. And then my favorite one is, is this the ugliest paint job in the world? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> but can i can i tell you condor has the last laugh they have the last laugh because look at all this advertising they're getting and when yeah. you see one of these planes whether you're a well, civilian i have seen some of this like in the regular newspapers not just you know the av geek blogs right people are going to see this plane and immediately know it's condor yeah that is ingenious so mm-hmm. whoever came up with this it is so ugly. It's good because it's getting that <laughs> right, it's getting them attention, which is what they all want. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then I saw another meme. I think it was from JDL and it was an AvGeek and the AvGeek's sweating. There's two buttons and one button says, "I hate Euro White" and then the other button says "Condor's new livery" and they're sweating cuz they <laughs> don't know which to press. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, I'm done. (laughs) Oh, man, I was trying to avoid this discussion, but it was
1: unavoidable. All right, can I end now? To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind. Just don't talk about Condor. We'll talk about (laughs) any other topic or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
0: Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. Not about the Condor. E- and not talk about Condor and stay <laughs> aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show.
1: Oh I'll just read. I'm, I'm trying to improvise too much and it's not working out well. Yeah, I, that was I, I was trying to do that too. Drew, we led this week disgusting. Oh, dude. <laughs> My transitions are terrible. I feel like I'm brain dead today. <clears throat> Spirit, which meant oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's like brain overload. It is. You have so many. You have so many wheels turning in there. I know. I just need to <laughs> slow down.